0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So great to be with you. And uh, our theme today is step over fear into God's future. Step over fear into the great future God has for you. Now, that invitation from God, do not fear or fear not or do not be afraid, uh, is over a thousand times in scripture in some form of that. It's such a critical theme and word for us, and it's so frequent, that invitation from God. So we see it every place from Exodus 14, do not be afraid, stand firm, you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today, to do not be afraid of them, from Deuteronomy 3, the Lord himself will fight for you, or Jesus saying, do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And then, of course, as it's Advent here, the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. Uh, Mary, as she's receiving God, you know, God's will and God's birthing in her life. And she's able to say, stepping over her fears, she's able to say, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. So it's such a, such a theme of scripture and what a theme for Christmas and of course the new year and of course all of life. So today I want to share with you a message from uh, the book of Jeremiah, actually Jeremiah chapter one, and his stepping over his fears to a really great destiny, and a destiny I believe God has for every one of us uh, in him. That's why you're alive. That's why I'm alive. And I I love the book of Jeremiah. I think it's such an important book for us today, especially as the world is in the midst of such upheaval. So uh, let me invite you to step over your fears into the great future God has for you, and enjoy this message here from Jeremiah chapter 1, Step Over Fear Into God's Future. Some of you know the name Charles Lindbergh. Uh, he's famous for the first non-flight uh, trip from Long Island, actually, to uh, Paris, France, across the Atlantic Ocean. It happened in 1927. And at the time, it was, it, was, it was gigantic. I mean, he was internationally famous. He was married to a woman named Anne, Marle Lindbergh, but after uh, his infant son was kidnapped and eventually murdered. And it became, really, probably the most famous kidnapping in the 20th century. It, really, it, it had really gripped the nation, and uh, many books were written about it. But his wife, Anne, uh, said during that time frame, only one thing helped her, and it was a story of, called the mustard seed story. Not the mustard seed story you're thinking about with, of Jesus and the mustard seed, but, but uh, kind of a little fable, and it goes like this. And she, she wrote about it. It's about a woman who lost her baby, and then she asked a wise old man if there was a cure for her grief. He replied, yes, you must find a house that has never known sorrow and take a mustard seed from that house and you will be cured. And so the woman spent the rest of her life looking, but she could never find a house that had not known sorrow. And Anne wrote about the fact of that story caused her to realize that Grief is common to every family, every home, every human being living on the earth. And so, just as that woman would never find a house where there was sorrow or grief, in the same way, there is not a home or a family or a house that is not marked with fear, where fear is presence by the virtue of being a human being living in a fallen world. And so, our theme actually this morning. From Jeremiah 1 is this theme of stepping over your fears, and because it's very crucial that we are aware of our fears and we actually step over them. Now, the great danger is, if, not, if you don't, you will never become the person God has called you to become. You will never live the life that God's intended you to live. So, so Jeremiah understood this. In fact, Jeremiah uh, uh, had a very important calling and mission for his life, but he digs into this theme of fear, his own fear, and how God enabled him to step over it. And it's given, not just that we learn from, from watch his life, we are meant to do the same thing. It's such a powerful theme. So uh, but before I actually read it, let me just give a little more summary. Let me give you a little introduction to the book of Jeremiah before I read this ch- a few verses from chapter 1 and his, his whole call. Isaiah, Jeremiah actually comes 100 years after Isaiah. And it's the second longest book of the Bible, so it's, it's long, after Psalms. And there's more biographical information about Jeremiah and his life. He reveals a lot about his inner workings than any other prophet. He actually had a leadership role in that country or ministry for 46 years. It's a very long time. And uh, the country was a spiritual mess and was headed for a disaster of being wiped out by the Babylonians. He lived through all of it. He came from a religious family, a you know, respectable poor, right outside of Jerusalem in a small village. And at a very young age, he was called by God. and We're going to read about it in a second. He was probably a late teenager, early 20s. So for you folks are early 20s, God bless you, all right? Yes. And uh, because he was called to speak and embody the truth in the midst of a tough situation. But for most of the 46 years of uh, his ministry, he was, he was poor, he was isolated, uh, he was hated, he was rejected, he was misunderstood. Uh, people ignored his warnings. Uh, they threatened his life. They locked him up in prison. Uh, he's called the weeping prophet, man of sorrows. Uh, he was suicidal. He had a lot of bad days. He rants against God, curses his mother for ever giving him birth at times. He's depressed. I mean, he is, he is like Jesus in Isaiah 53, a real, a real man of sorrows. And numerous times, as you'll read through the book eventually, not this week because you are still in Isaiah reading. Remember Isaiah, the daily office, okay, last week? Um he wanted to quit, and you'll read about him saying, never, Lord, I, you, know, I should, you tricked me to get me into this whole thing, and, and, uh, but his life had an enormous influence on, on the nation of Israel and God coming to his people that, we, that we're actually enjoying to this day, and uh, it's an extremely important biblical book, and, and uh, what's so striking, uh, and I've been thinking about fear uh, for a few years, what stunned me about the first chapter is the, the amount of energy he gives to this issue of fear, his own fears and then the, the, the brilliance of, of, of really breaking through it. And so let's read it now, beginning at chapter 1, verse uh, 4. I'm going to pick it up. Uh, the year is 627, 600 years before Christ, basically, 627 BC. And here's what the, God says, chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you, underline that word, formed, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Verse 17, get yourself ready, God says. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Now, perhaps he knows so much about fear because he knew so much about suffering and the price paid for stepping over your fears uh, and actually doing, into doing God's will. I, I think maybe other than Jesus, there's no one who knows suffering uh, like Jeremiah. So what he does, he focuses on two themes here personally. One is his fears that are common to all of us. And then secondly, this, this perfect love of God that actually drives it out uh, and enables us to go through it. Let me just take a few minutes and let me just expound on fear. Let's try to get a grip on it uh, before we you know, dig into the, uh, the answer. Now, there are healthy fears which protect us, and I will not go into them today, because I want to address the, the ones that are unhealthy and that are beneath the iceberg that we're most of the time unaware of. And these unhealthy fears restrict you and me. They, they cause us to live in chains, in a narrow way, they actually destroy the joy and spaciousness of life that God intends in Christ. Unhealthy fears that we have cause us to make terrible decisions. Uh, We make choices in relationships based on unhealthy fears. Some of us get married out of unhealthy fears and divorced out of unhealthy fears. We parent our children out of fear. We, we do our jobs and don't move jobs out of fears. Our, our relationship with God is built on fear. Our financial decisions are built on fear. and Our conflicts, every area of life is affected by what you do with your fears that are part of living life. And my prayer and my theme today is that you're going to break free. Or at least on some level, get on a journey of a measure of realizing, oh my goodness, God has really called me to step over these fears and to a, to a life that I never even imagined could be possible. So here's Jeremiah in verse 6, and, and, and as God comes to him, he hesitates out of fear, and God's going to speak to him about that. He goes, oh, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. God says, he's 21 maybe, and God says, listen, you're going to speak to kings and kingdoms and superpowers of the day like Egypt and, and Assyria and Babylon and, this, and, and the smaller surrounding nations, but he has no experience, he, he's not well-trained, and, and he's young, and, and, and Near Eastern culture, you know. Age was very important. I mean, there was great respect for the elderly. And here's this young guy, and he's being called by God now to step out and speak into a culture that normally wouldn't receive him. And uh, he doesn't have the credentials. And, and so God actually addresses the fear in verse 17 because God realizes he is terrified. I mean, he's paralyzed by his fear. And God says to him, I command you, you know, don't be terrified by these fears. And, uh, or, 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 you'll be, or I will terrify you. Imagine God says, if you let yourself be overcome by fear, I'll teach you what fear is really about. I'll terrify you. It's quite a verse there, you know. And God gives him a great promise to make him, you know, make him strong. But he goes, verse 19, they will fight against you. In fact, God gives a list. Kings, officials, priests, people of the land. I mean, even his own family plotted to kill him. You think you have problems in your family, all right? I mean, this guy's got huge obstacles in front of him. And God does not disguise the challenges. But God says, listen, um, I'm going to give you something to overcome these fears. And so, now think of fears, there's external fears, we all have, you know, some of you are afraid of heights, some of us are afraid of crowds, me, I'm afraid of worms and frogs, I'm afraid of insects, snakes, do not bring your snake here, please. I'm actually afraid of rural areas that do not have streetlights. I get extremely nervous when it's really, dark. amen on that, thank you, I feel better. My wife loves hiking. I go hiking. I I I get very afraid when I realize she does not know where we're going. And uh, but really this passage is not about the external fears. It's really about the internal fears. And these are the ones that are much more difficult to identify. And most of us are unaware. We're unaware of how these internal fears are driving us and are causing us to respond to life in a very narrow constricted, limited way. So again, just think, some of us fear intimate relationships, others fear being alone. Some fear getting a lot of attention, others fear being neglected. Some fear pleasure, others fear pain. Some fear a loss of love, others fear being in love. Some fear life, others fear death. But researchers note three big areas of fear, and I want you to just, as you listen to this, just let it kind of take you beneath your iceberg a bit. And they've identified three, three areas, and I think there's some good, uh, good justification for this. Okay, The, the first is, is they, call it, they speak of the, fear of the fear of fear. I like that. The fear of fear of making mistakes uh, is a big one. The fact that um, we call people who fear making mistakes perfectionists. I know we've got a few out there. I'm one myself. And people who fear making mistakes don't want to disappoint other folks, don't want to disappoint themselves, don't want to disappoint God. But to do everything right all the time, it's quite a pressure to be under in everything. And so that's why so many people dread public speaking. I mean, the idea of speaking, whether it's to a class or at work, I mean, it's like worse than death for many folks, because then if I make a mistake, it'll be very public, I know. But moving out of your comfort zone, uh, out of fear of making mistakes, it's really, it's it's quite difficult. Now, think of some people who, they live in an apartment uh, or a home, but they, they don't leave their house very often out of fear. They, they, they stay in. They call themselves homebodies. Now, contrast that with a person who not only can leave their home but loves traveling to new exotic places and will go overseas and go to a country. They don't know the language. They don't, they don't know the food. They don't know the culture. But they're, they're fine. They just, they're, just, they're open. They're just going there, and they're going to figure it out along the way. They don't mind flopping over new expressions and all that. I mean, the great range. But that fear of making mistakes is very powerful, and some of you uh, are there. Then, then there's a whole fear of rejection, another whole big area that researchers have found. And, and basically a fear of rejection is a fear of interacting with certain people, thinking that or imagining that they might be dangerous. So they might judge me. And so you might see my flaws, you might see my vulnerabilities, uh, you might bring out my feelings of shame, you might see me for who I really am and you might not like that very much and so what do I do? You, you know, Some of you know what it's like, you're at work or you're in a classroom as a student and you wanna ask a question. But you don't your fear looking stupid. And so you just hope somebody else asks the question. And uh, or you don't want to look stupid if the question comes out wrong. You don't even want to answer. Or the fear of trying out a new hobby or a new sport, or you know, it's just the, the fear of that I don't know how to do it and looking like I'm a child, and looking irrelevant. You know, even just the fear of being around certain types of people, you know what that's like, whether it's a rich person or a very poor person, it can be a, a racial group, an ethnicity. It could be authority figures, but there are certain people that trigger you, kick in fear, and before you know it, your actions or reactions are all determined by this fear of possibly getting rejected, because it's kind of like people are unpredictable, and and they might shame me, and so I just don't go down that road. And then there's the fear of just simply relaxing. It feels dangerous to relax, because if I relax, I might lose out, and so I just have to keep going. And working and I got to keep doing so I can prevent something bad from happening. And uh, I'm always on. I'm just, I'm watching. I'm, I'm vigilant. And, and uh, the world's a very unsafe place and uh, I don't want to lose that safety. And so I overwork, I overdo. And the idea of a slower life, the idea of play, I mean, real play or, you know, I mean, oh my goodness. It's just very challenging for you to, to get off of that vigilance, that watching your back. So let me ask you, as we're kind of going beneath the iceberg, I want you to think about your iceberg here for a second. Remember the iceberg is what's going on beneath the exterior activity of your life. You're going to work, you look fearless, but underneath, what's really going on there? And what are some of your fears underneath that iceberg? Uh, What are you afraid of? So, for example, what's behind your fear of not asking somebody a question that you want to ask? What's your fear behind not dating someone if you're single? of the opposite sex. What's behind your fear of not looking for a new job when you can't stand your present job? Or what's behind your fear that you always say yes when you really want to say no? Or what's behind the fear that you can't seem to get this thing about Sabbath keeping in your life of stopping and resting and delighting, uh, contemplating God? What's really behind that fear of doing nothing and wasting time for 24 hours? What's really underneath that iceberg? What's beneath the fear that you still work a 60 to 70 hour a week and cannot seem to get off that treadmill? Or what's really behind your fear of not dealing with anger, your anger? What's, what's really going on there beneath that iceberg? What are you afraid of? Or what's beneath that, what's, what's really beneath your fear that you keep doing for somebody what they can and should do for themselves and you can't seem to stop rescuing them? What's really are you afraid of beneath that iceberg? Or, what is beneath the fear of really grieving or feeling your losses and your griefs in your own life? Or, what's behind that fear that you might get overlooked in your career as an artist or in your field and might end up in obscurity? What's really behind that fear? Or, what's behind your fear as, you know, of going back to college? And you're older now, and you've not been in school for 20, 30 years, and starting a new career, what's really behind that fear of going back? Or of getting a B in a test, or a C, imagine? What's really the fear behind not excelling at everything you do, especially in academics? Or what's behind that fear of actually loving what you love and maybe disappointing some other people who have an agenda for your life? Well, what's really that fear behind stepping out to your unique life? What are you really afraid of if you do that, that might happen? So anyway, I can go on. And, uh, but the issue of fear is present every one of us in this room. It's just on different levels of awareness and our consciousness. The question is, how dominant is fear? How much is it constricting and restricting actually your life and your relationships and your decisions and your future? You know, for years, uh, I've been pastoring New Life for, my goodness, 20-plus years. And I think, I think in the early years especially, uh, I preached a lot about freedom, even freedom from fear on the outside. But on the inside, it drove me. And I think about my deep fear that people would abandon me, would leave, would, not, would move away from me. And so as a result, every time there was a conflict, I ran the other way. I said whatever needed to be said, it just kind of smoothed it over. It's going to be fine. And uh, as you know, that doesn't really work well long term. It's very hard to build a healthy community when people are living in fear. I was very afraid to be myself and be vulnerable and weak. I thought people might shame me. I was very concerned about starting, trying something new. If another church church hadn't already successfully done it, I wasn't going to try it. I didn't want to look stupid. So I'd have these nudgings from God about going certain directions, but I just pushed it aside because I was afraid, looking stupid. I said yes to so many people and things that I should have said no. But I was afraid they might move away from me. They might say, you're a bad person. And I was—I really there was so much fear in me. I, I was working almost a seven-day week. I mean, I'm glad Jerry's not here at this service. She quit over that. And uh, I couldn't stop because I was so afraid. New life might fall apart if I actually rest and go slow. And for years, that fear was just, it was underneath the surface. I was unaware, it was in my iceberg. But it so impacted the quality of my life, my relationship with God, my family, the entire church. Have you ever thought about what would change if you actually broke the chains of your fear? Could you imagine what might get unleashed around you? Now, I thought, as I, I've been reading this book over and over again, Jeremiah, and I thought to myself, what would have happened if this guy did not move through his fear? First of all, he wouldn't have the book of Jeremiah. But I thought about all the lives, all the implications, the whole nation of Israel. I, you know, you don't, you, I said, my goodness. Well, just stop and think, what might it be for you? Now, with that, hold on to that. Because Jeremiah, what he does here is he records his experience of how he stepped over his fear. And actually, it's the first verse. It's in in verse 5 when God speaks. And it's his experience of being known by God. It's his experience in the love of God that becomes the foundation of his entire spiritual life. In fact, verse 5 and his experience with God here is the foundation for the whole rest of the book. It's out of this deep place that he lives as a person loved by God that enables him to step over that fear and really do something that's actually remarkable for the rest of his life. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how God comes to him and how I, I'm going to offer that God's going to come to you today too. We'll actually do an experience at the end of the service, uh, a little meditation. And he received surrender to soaked in, not just once here in this verse 6, as you read the book, there was numerous moments where he just soaked in the perfect love of God and thus enabled him to drive out his fear. Now you'll notice I put the verse up in verse 5 because it's so important. The word of the Lord came to me saying, there, before I formed you in the womb, that was before you ever even were, were a fetus, I had you in my head, God says, I knew you. That word no is the word for, in Hebrew, it's, there's no more word for deeper emotional commitment. It's the word for being two lovers, married, having sexual intercourse. It's the word for erotic passion. God says, before you even came on the planet, I knew you. I loved you, Jeremiah. And then he goes on, he goes, before you were born, I set you apart word set apart is a very important word in Hebrew as well. Like, a, like God would set apart the temple. God would set apart the physical land of Israel. God says set apart, you know, Sabbath, set apart, a tithe. It was, it's something holy for God's use exclusively. God says, I, before you ever came to earth, I saw you and I set you apart. Your life is special. Your life's got a task. Your life's got a purpose. You're not just a run-of-the-mill person. And then God says, I, 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 "And so when you're on the subway tomorrow or you're in traffic or on a bus and people are pushing you around, you say, hey. I'm set apart. <laughs> Back off right now. You know, God loved me before I ever even came to earth. You know that? And then he says, I appointed you. I love that. I, God says, "I." so you see the three verbs. I knew you, I set you apart, and I appointed you for a specific assignment. And In his case, it was a prophet to the nations. Now, I want to do, do a little exercise with you right now. Little, I want to pause, and I want to ask you a question. So I want to invite you to just take a moment. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take about 15 seconds to answer this question. Imagine God right now. He's thinking about you. What do you think God feels when you come to his mind? When he fixes his eyes on you, what do you think God feels about you? So first thing that comes to your mind. I'm amazed at how many people how many say he's disappointment. He's frustrated with me because of all my faults and shortcomings. He's angry. Some people would say disgusted. He's disgusted with me. Now I All right, open your eyes. Come back, back. No sleeping during sermon. I'm amazed at how many, even at the first service, just came back. I mean, Anthony me says, shocked at how negative. How many could not, I couldn't believe that should be, it was all negative. Because so much of it, our image of God comes out of our family of origin. Those voices that say, you're no good, you're a bum, it's never good enough. So much comes from our different cultures, uh, where again, it's never, you never perform well enough. And so we just have now just projected this onto God. And we actually, we experience God. You see, Jeremiah. In chapter 1, he's recounting to us his experience of God. And that verse 5 says he's having an experience of God saying, "Ah, do not be afraid, I am with you. I know you, I've set you apart, I've appointed you. And it's this perfect love going into him that enables, sets him free and breaks him out of that chain of fear. He's actually able to move forward. But when God looks at you, the God of Christianity, God's love is unlike any other love on, on, in the universe or the world. You see, our God is, loves you with no strings attached. you got to pause on this. Nothing comes without strings attached, right? But God simply loves human beings. He, he created you for a love relationship with him. And there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing you cannot do that will change his love to you. He feels the same towards you whether you're running away or not. God loves sinners. He pursues failures. He actually waits for children who run away to turn around. He rescues those of you who are damaged laying on the side of the road because you've made some terrible decisions. He never gets exhausted from running after lost sheep. Of all the world religions, only Christianity dares make the love of God unconditional. Just, it's free. Only the God of Scripture has this value of cherishing human beings. To use the word, I, I knew you before you even were formed in your mother's womb. My, my, my love for you was as intense as, as, as sexual intercourse, the closest image of emotional connection and commitment. Only uh, the Lord God teaches us to forgive ourselves as well as him forgiving our sins. And only the God of scripture offers his life in the person of his son to die and rise for you and I. You see, life is you get what you deserve. Nothing's free. You know, I, I, I don't like people giving me free stuff. I, you, you get what you pay for. You earn what we get. Who wants charity, right? Who, who wants handouts, very few of us in this room do. And so we, most of us say, I'll get my house in order, and then I'll let God love me. But if my house is not in order, I'm not going to let him love me. Then I'll feel worse. But that's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you've got this, I mean, there's probably no better verse in all the New Testament to summarize what's happening here for Jeremiah. as in 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Fear kind of restricts you. But it is the perfect love of God. I surrender to that love. I allow it in. And it actually, it breaks the power. It drives out fear. It breaks the, the power's fear. And so I can actually step over it. It's kind of like in the World Trade Center. There were many heroes in the World Trade Center. And I had a friend who, who, who worked with them as, as a counselor. And she says, it was amazing because they, had, they, had a, they were able to step over so many difficult situations. And did not freeze because they, they knew where they were going. They, they had a sense of, they were afraid like everybody else, but they actually responded differently. They stepped over their fears. It was fascinating. So in other words, you, you, Jeremiah was overwhelmed, but he stepped over it. You can make mistakes. You, realize, you can make mistakes as a human being. You can be imperfect, and you can say, I don't know. And you know what? His perfect love will just break a fear in you. You can admit your mistakes. You can stop and relax. You can take care of yourself. And you know what? His perfect love can drive out fear, and you can actually slow down. Transformation, what Jeremiah has here for you and I, it demands, it requires that I actually surrender to this perfect love. I've got to soak and bask in it so that this love becomes my identity. Who am I? I am loved by God. That's the foundation of my identity. And thus, it enables me to step over fear and do things that maybe, or say things that I never would have done before. Now, this isn't like a one time event for Jeremiah, nor is it for you. This is, this is our lives. Just a few years, just like really three years ago, I actually began to dig into this theme of fear and with, with some depth because I realized that, that there were some fears I had that were crippling me. And that iceberg, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. The longer you're alive, it just keeps coming. There'll be new challenges. And for me, it had to do with the growth of new life. The church was getting larger more people on staff, more complicated. And I was getting more fearful because my natural gift mix is not in the executive kind of MBA type running an organization. And I was really becoming increasingly outside my comfort zone. And I'd already made a lot of mistakes. And I said, I'm just gonna make a whole lot more now. And uh, and I kind of had a reputation for those who were close to me as, uh, you know, Pete could not organize himself out of a paper bag, but he's very creative, we like that, you know? <laughs> and so, and I had two national people I knew who were really gifted in, in the executive running of a church that ran very large churches. And it and actually said some negative things to me over the years. That you know, people say a negative thing to you, it just kind of like it it's kind of stays in you. And so I was very inept, and I, and I and I realized, but I had some values that I wanted to bring to the issue of the leadership of our church. And it had to do with emotionally healthy spirituality. Was, I said there's something that we're supposed to be, the way we do leadership, the way we run new life. And I realized that God was calling me to step over the sphere and actually learn how to be an executive pastor. Not that it was my lifelong gift, but there were some things he wanted to show me that I needed to get some skills and learn from some people and setting goals and all that stuff. And people laughed at me. I went to the elder board and I said, I'm going to become the executive pastor. They said, you've got to be kidding, you know. <laughs> and, um, but I had to quiet the negative voices and soak in the love of God and his voice. And not that I wouldn't make some more mistakes, which I did. But I realized that God was calling me to step over those fears and do some new learnings. And I had to sequence the steps. And I had these voices screaming out to you, this is going to be a disaster. You're going to ruin everything. Jump ship. And I used to have like my one, two, three, four, five, six, listen. I just, it was like, shut that voice out. Do not listen. Do not follow your feelings right now. And just what's first, what's second, what's third, and just begin to move on. And it was an incredibly liberating experience. And I realized the issue was not that particular wall for me at that time. The issue was how I operate my entire life. And I got in touch with, oh my goodness, how much of my life has been determined by fear? How many other things have I either listened to other people or made some failures or mistakes, and it just crippled me for life? And it opened up a whole new world. Actually, as I began prayer, the sermon, I said, I'd love to have a two-day workshop on this, on all the practicalities. But the foundation, we don't have time, but the foundation is soaking in that perfect love of God and surrendering to it. You see, we obey, not because I have to obey, I got to do this. No, I, I obey because I've, I've surrendered to his perfect love. I and mean, he looks at me, he actually smiles and enjoys me. He basks in me. He in you, and then out of that, I, I, I just can't, I want to. And I'm not even afraid of making a mistake. It's like, okay. You can know this intellectually, what I just said to you, but it's very different from knowing it experientially. We talk about the perfect love of God. God's desire is that you experience it, just like Jeremiah did. The way to get released from fear is a personal, direct love of Jesus, love of Jesus coming into you. Don't think for a moment that courage is the absence of fear. It is not. Courage is the capacity to think, speak, and act, and actually step over your fears. It's there, but you've broken it. So here's the message of Jeremiah. You ready? We overestimate the risks in front of us, and we underestimate the power of the perfect love of God to break our fears. I'll say it again. We overestimate the size of the risks around us, and we underestimate the perfect love of God to drive out our fears. Because God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And so what might happen? Dream with me for a moment. What might happen if you broke through your fears? How might you be living your life and relating to people differently? Imagine the possibilities if you could make a mistake and be imperfect. Imagine what you might do with your talents and gifts and resources. If you knew that even if you launched that and failed, it was fine. Imagine if you got got so secure in the love of God that you were free from the approval of other people. Their rejection or misunderstanding, it no longer crippled you. Yeah, it hurts you, it bothers you, but it didn't cripple you. You're actually secure enough in this love of God that you can move through it. I look at us, I look at us as a church, as a whole, I look at you individually, I say, what would happen if what happened to Jeremiah happened to us? And I'm on a journey. I know I've got some other walls ahead of me. I'm looking forward to it now. New adventures, new experiences, new learnings. But I'll tell you, this is the Christian life. It's by faith stepping over fears. And make no mistake about it, it's no simple thing initially when your body is screaming out, saying, don't do it, it's going to be a disaster. So I'd like to close with an exercise. And worship team, you can come forward. Because God wants to invite us out of prison. And I want, so I want you to look at the, uh, the verse here from verse 5 as we engage in this exercise. And you notice the word you, it's gonna be used seven times here. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I appointed, I set you apart. I appointed you, do not be afraid for I am with you. So God doesn't want you or I to be standing back in fear. He wants intimacy. He wants you and I to get close enough where you actually hear his heartbeat. You look into his eyes as his eyes look at you. So, see the verse. And uh, you can open your eyes along the way in this little exercise of meditation we're going to do. But I'm going to invite you right now to just close your eyes. And just be still and present before the Lord. And you can begin by taking a few deep, relaxing breaths. Enjoy and become conscious of your rhythm of breathing. And with each breath, let out with your breath what's, what you don't need, what's not of God, what you need to let go of. With every breath you take in, surrender to his love for you. Now picture in your mind Jesus looking at you with an attentive, loving gaze. His eyes are fixed on you. And I want you to see yourself lifting up your head and yourself looking back at him into his eyes. In the next few moments, let his gaze Hold your gaze. He's a lover who cannot take his eyes off you. Surrender to that love and let it hold you fixed on him. Now, as I read the verses up on a PowerPoint. Listen to these words as if they were spoken for the first time directly to you. Pay close attention to how valuable you are to Him. Hear His love for you. Let it wash over you like an ocean. And notice how it feels to bask or soak in His love. So I'm going to read it, and we're going to take about you know, 30 seconds of silence. At the end, the Lord says to you, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, I appointed you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Now, as I read these verses a second time, let the words of God's perfect love for you, let it break the power of your fears. Let it drive out your fears. I want to invite you to surrender to the power of God's love so you can step out over the fears before you. And again, we'll take about 45 seconds silence at the end of the reading of this, these verses. The Lord says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And so, Father, like a mighty ocean, may your powerful, perfect love wash over us. And may it break every chain. May it set each one of us free, like Jeremiah, to the life that you've intended for each of us, in Jesus' name, amen. So come, let's all stand.